Hi, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 41 of the Deep South Dharma podcast, being released on Sunday, May 3rd, 2020. It is, this episode is a conversation with my friend and Dharmacharya sister, Susmita Barua. And I'm very excited for you to hear our conversation. Susmita, it does a lot of exploration and practice and teaching and leading discussion groups on the subject of Buddhist economics. And as she explains to me in this interview, this was a uh, this was a term coined by E.F. Schumacher um, in 1955 when he traveled to Burma as an economic consultant. Um, he, one of the things that he highlighted is uh, that in his, his understanding of it, the Buddhist point of view takes the function of work to be at least threefold, um, to give humanity a chance to utilize and develop its faculties, to enable humanity to overcome ego-centeredness by joining with others in a common task, and to bring forth the goods and services needed for a becoming existence. And so I am excited for you to hear this conversation with Shizmita. Um, definitely a becoming existence in our midst. And it may be that um, some of the people hearing this episode uh, would wish to join with her on this sort of um, cutting exploration that she's doing. And um, the information for joining her, for looking her up, um, is included in the interview and also printed in the um, printed in the description of the podcast. And I would like to let you know that I continue to offer midweek meditation Wednesdays at 11.30 a.m. Central Time just for a 20-minute practice. It's different each time. Just something to give us a little midweek boost and a chance for connection. And then the Deep South Dharma group continues to meet on Saturday mornings uh, 10 to 11 a.m. Central Time via Zoom. In both cases, these are via Zoom links, and you can find those at deepsouthdharma.org. Last thing I'll mention is that it it's I heard from Hartwood, it sounds like they're trying to get uh, retreats Um, scheduled tentatively, of course, for the fall. So it looks like my retreat of September 17th through 20th is back on for the time being, unless health issues uh, worldwide and locally have other plans for us. But if you want information about um, the retreats taking shape in the later part of the year, take a look at heartwoodrefuge.org. Alrighty, now let's talk to Sushmita. I wonder if, um, just to begin with, if you can let our listeners know about 
you know, who you are and, you know, cause the, it's, I have let everybody know in the intro that this, that, that you do a lot of teaching around Buddhist economics, but just to kind of lay the groundwork on um, just your background um, and how, you know, how you eventually came to be interested in this. Okay. Um, well, my name is Sushmita Barua, and I was born in uh, Kolkata in India in a Buddhist family. So I kind of organically exposed to Dharma, although I could never tell or claim myself as a you know, hardcore practitioner or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I used to hide my Buddhist identity because there was no Buddhist around me <laughs> in my neighborhood, school, college. Um, so only a few people would know who would ask directly. <laughs> right. um, I was pretty much considered as just another Hindu among all my Hindu friends, God. most of them. Mm -hmm. uh, then I came to U.S. as a graduate student, and I, you know, was far from Dharma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was busy getting a degree, raising a family, <laughs> and uh, in my job and all that, but all kind of came kind of crashing down in 93, and to the point, my inner turmoil was so much, and I was so split. My mind was so split mm -hmm. about uh, my life, which direction I want to go. I see that all my education hasn't prepared me for what I'm going inside. A deep, deep dissatisfaction. Luca. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, but I was quite surprised that outwardly everything was going well, you know, mm -hmm. on a mundane level. <laughs> but inside I felt, where is this coming from? Of course, I, you know, at that time I could say this, 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 but, but I could also see there is a deep something that I don't understand. <laughs> yes. Something about existence, uh, life and, you know, what I'm here for. Um, until that point, I kind of felt I pretty much followed the social norms and prescriptions, what I'm supposed to do. Uh, and it was pretty much um, dictated by, you know, parents, society. <laughs> mm -hmm. I really never chose for myself. I did not know what a choice is really. When I lost you and um, you were saying that um, you'd been following social norms and stuff that were dictated by parents. And then you made a statement that was really interesting uh, to me where you were saying that uh, I really didn't know what choice was um, or really, you know, weren't that familiar with choice. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So can you say a little more about that? Because I think for many okay. people listening, especially in the U.S., uh, there's almost a sense sometimes for people of being overwhelmed with choices. 
and sort of wishing that <laughs> wishing that somebody <laughs> would come along and tell us what to believe or what to do, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was surprisingly, I started to think about choice because I could see there is a um, loop in my brain yeah. or in my thinking that I couldn't get out this dissatisfaction with my external things that are not right, yeah. quite not good. And, you know, but I could see it is... Uh, something within my mind that I um, never have experienced before. Mm -hmm. And so I felt I have to go to the, I have to know what this is to the source of it. That's, I guess I entered. Yeah. I, I guess Dharma pulled me in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's when that practice was... really began for you. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, I very consciously um, said, I'll quit my job. I'm going to live in the present because my mind was constantly in the past and future. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it was very obvious to me <laughs> that I have to regain my presence. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. That's how I entered the what you call mindfulness. I didn't have no term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But it was uh, like I wanted an open space to discuss things, to discuss differences and where I am coming from, where they are. You know, I just wanted to explore more of that, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my whole perspective of dharma is also a little different than how people enter dharma. <laughs> yeah. My perspective of dharma was my education didn't teach me about my mind. <laughs> Yeah. And this is the way I entered Dharma, you know, to know my mind, to know myself mm -hmm. and the world and how it impacts me, the contact. <laughs> yeah. um, so my perspective of Dharma was education from the very beginning. So I wanted a very open uh, platform where you can discuss Dharma very openly between all traditions, you know, mm -hmm. uh, out getting offended or defensive about anything because ultimately we are trying to reach the same goal, I guess, the same goal. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, different tradition may approach differently or even different people approach differently and everybody's personality is different. So I guess I had to learn a lot of psychology and I still can feel <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so but the Dharmacharya program offered you that open space to explore and the interest in the and and the interest in different traditions was certainly supportive. Yeah, this is yeah. I felt maybe this Dharmacharya would allow me to do that. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, so were have, were you always interested in Buddhist economics or is that something that developed That is also because I left my, quit my job because I was very unhappy. And this is something I found in my college years too. I felt there is a great gap between education and reality. <laughs> and I had economics and political science as my electives in college years. And I was struggling with both of them. 
mm-hmm. because there is so much structure and concepts i felt always that it is not somehow addressing the reality of things you know it's right. very conceptual structured it's not serving humanity mm-hmm. <laughs> i i always felt that disconnect and that disconnect became very strong really when i was in the job with you know in a very male environment it was uh, planning a city planning job <laughs> i was yeah. the only uh, woman from a uh, foreign land um so and that's there, the job you left in 93 yeah that's when i quit my first job then i took another job but yeah i quit that too <laughs> oh. <laughs> eventually yeah <laughs> So one of my thing was so it is the right livelihood question that yes. really brought me that to the dharma should i you know spend my life in an 8 to 5 jobs or is there something better for me to do yeah better fit yeah something better fit where i'd be happy where i would not be so time bound you know right right because everything is kind of a rush 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 yeah. where to the point i am not enjoying my raising my child not enjoying my work uh, and nobody asked about in the job you don't ask about how is your child doing or you yeah. doing and the mother child separation is something i you know i do not know whether anywhere it is addressed it is not it's, the child feels anxious for mother the mother feels the same anxiety for not having the child near her and it sure. was a great yeah yeah so um, so right livelihood was also there uh, but then from the right livelihood i had to know first what life is about right, right. i had to find some direction so you know so it was always there you know how to but the way the conditioning the conditions are set up for livelihood is not right for most people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not happy in the job and um it's just making a, everybody has to make a living not necessarily be that's not their primary you know talent or skill <laughs> maybe many times and they may have other creative skills that's never encouraged mm-hmm. or compensated or right compensated yeah <laughs> and there is all kinds of you know inequality injustice especially yeah 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 women and minorities <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and so what is that phrase Buddhist, when we say when we say the phrase Buddhist economics, um, or in your teachings, when you talk about Buddhist economics, what do you mean by that um, by that phrase? How you know what would what are some of the the features of Buddhist economics? Okay, um, so I was you know looking if there is something you know that addresses life livelihood and i came to this term buddhist economics from ef schumacher uh, who first used the term in late 60s and he thought if there is right livelihood in the noble eightfold path 
there must mm-hmm. be economics and I felt the same way without reading anything or knowing anything about him you know 10 years down the road um, I felt well if it is kind of a middle of the path and Buddha must have envisioned um, his um, teaching to address this and people who are entering in the noble eightfold path it it must be up to them and it must primarily be on the lay people because mm-hmm. they are the one who are, have to make a livelihood and support the sangha, you know, right? Uh, monastic sangha. That was how it was. So Buddha must have <laughs> laid a job for lay people. If you live in a lay life, you must consider right livelihood because right effort comes after right livelihood. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you really, without securing your survival, you cannot come to Dharma, right? <laughs> um, and everybody has to pay attention. So what if, as on a social collective level, we pay attention to that um, to create conditions for a bright livelihood? That was a question yeah. I'm still exploring, you know. <laughs> but yeah. <we> did. <laughs> right. Well, and I can't, were you at the Bhikkhu Bodhi retreat a couple of years ago? I can't, I think you might've been over. Um, so I just, yeah, the, the, um, um, I just remember in Bhikkhu Bodhi speaking of when he, when he taught about the Mahamangala Sutta and the, the conditions that support our practice, that support our spiritual development, he talked about very practical things, very practical policy things that societies, you know, would do to support people being able to develop to their fullest potential. And, and some of those things are the very things that we hear a lot about in the, in the discussion today about, you know, providing people a basic income through the pandemic and other times and healthcare yeah. and like that. So is, is that the kind of thing you're talking about when you think of? Yeah, thing? yeah, it is. It's interesting that you bring that up and I have to revisit the sutta again. Oh, oh. But yes, exactly. We all have to, this is, I always felt that anything I have achieved, I have to be able to lift others up. Like as a woman, I feel very privileged to receive the education I received. And I always feel, you know, women who um, don't have the resources to get that education to support them Mm -hmm. uh, some way. Uh, And I guess each of us feels, you know, through our life experience, of course, you know, come across situations in our own life we feel very um this inner desire to extend um some kind of help mm-hmm. <laughs> for people who are the, who those are falling behind and this is i guess a requirement the dharma is to practice generosity and in what avenues we feel um, you know inspired to do that uh, you know, that's the basic training of generosity, I guess. Yeah. 
to support dharma teachers to support uh, the practitioners mm -hmm. and create the conditions where dharma can live even in india you know the dharma declined totally <laughs> to the point i was <laughs> yeah didn't see yeah <laughs> right so this supporting conditions for dharma this is something we all need to uh, think about yeah, mm -hmm. how to support places, you know, of Dharma. And uh, in small ways, if all of us do that, practitioners, and so other practitioners can come in and join and we set up the conditions for them. And this is how, you know, generations, and that, that's how it was initially, I guess, in India. But then, um, you know, causes and conditions happen where the supporting conditions were missing. <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I guess I, th I think I'll ask one more question for now, and then um, we can use email to, to schedule part two of the interview. And part two, I want to get more into explaining what, what we mean by a debt economy and what the alternative okay. would be. But for, for, for closing out this time, you know, one thing I, I can imagine somebody listening might wonder is like, okay, if I, you know, now for many people, I, let me just back up and say for many people right now, they, even if they were in jobs they are dissatisfied in, they've sort of been thrust home to where, mm -hmm. so they have this time to explore to consider what might be right like yeah for it could be right a nice now. time yeah. yeah but for people who maybe you know maybe they are considered essential workers or you know maybe for whatever reason that um that they they are um working in a situation where they have some dissatisfaction um mm -hmm. I can imagine somebody listening and going, well, I can't just decide to quit my job. You know, how can that person be able to apply this idea of Buddhist economics? How, how would they begin to move in the direction of right livelihood? You know, uh, mind is the forerunner of all experience. Mm -hmm. So, there is some preparation. Our mind has to be inclined that way. Mm -hmm. We must um, make some goals and take baby steps. And, you know, our full intention has to be to um, move towards that way. And, you know, we will. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So first calming the mind and, and then having enough presence and then inclining towards that direction, um, that is somebody. And there are many, many stories where people have lifted themselves up from, you know, manual jobs, you know, immigrant laborers. And you, you hear stories, you know, how they lifted them up. You know, it's a shift in the mindset Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, so, so I guess I hear you saying that even in very difficult conditions, yeah, the beginning point in doing the work you can do to calm your mind so that you can even see what some of your options are. 
exactly what possibilities, what uh, talents you already have, you may not know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are so many other opportunities, uh, you know, online and, uh, you know, different. We just have to look in a different direction than what we are conditioned. So most of it is coming out of your conditioning. Uh, so there is a it's unlearning really all this conditioning. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which keeps us limited in our limited mind and in limited mindset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, um, so I wanted to turn some attention now to um, explaining, if you can explain for our listeners, what is meant by debt capitalism um, mm-hmm. when you speak about um, Buddhist economics and how it's a response to that. What do you mean by debt capitalism uh, that's it's um, interesting question and you know it it takes something but I'll try to explain it in um, just in from our experience okay. but it goes much deeper when you study the systems and all that And I cannot claim to understand all of it, but I got interested into the subject um, when the war started after 9-11, the Gulf Wars and all that. And uh, my entire interest was driven by 9-11, you know, when I saw, you know, how so much money was going to the war effort. And I was a peace and justice advocate. (laughs) So, uh, and I I would look at those ticker symbols, just like in the stock market, you see. (laughs) Uh They are blinking, blinking. And, you know, every minute, so many thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars are going to the war effort. And I felt, how is it possible um, to generate so much money for some war that is not even justified. (laughs) Uh, And we don't have enough to, you know, just basic survival and human needs. Um, uh, This is the way I, my investigation of Dharma (laughs) of money or economy started. Yeah. And I, I put a lot of emphasis on investigation of dharma because a lot of people think about you know just mindfulness, mindfulness, mm-hmm. and I l- always like you know how my experiences now and how the world impinging on my consciousness now and and the question arises from that right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I always saw dharma to be very experientially grounded and how it really affecting you, um, contacting, the world is contacting you, (laughs) your senses. Um, So when I started investigating, I found something that I couldn't believe, first of all, that the money originates as debt and and to perform anything in the economy, <laughs> we need money, right? Uh-huh. And when that originates as debt, 
through the system we have built mm -hmm. unconsciously, unknowingly, or some of it consciously, greed and all factors. Mm -hmm. But this is something, you know, mind is the source of everything, right? The forerunner. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and I always had this question, something we have created, but we do not understand how it works. In economics, we are trying to understand human behavior and all that, mm -hmm. <laughs> economic man is selfish and all that. Um, so um, money actually originates through central banking system. Mm -hmm. And it's a system that developed, uh, you know, in, let's say, Italy and England, there was Bank of Italy and Bank of England is the first central bank. <laughs> yeah. And um, if you study all the history and things, and this is not taught in economics also, the history of money and capital and how our concept of capital have changed um, from land, cattle, you know. Yeah. Uh, serfs, <laughs> right. labor, and all that, you know, it seems like it's now we are living under financial capitalism, actually. We have far gone industrial capitalism to financial. And the digital world is very much serving that because everything is now digital. Mm -hmm. And but if you dig deeply down, you know, how it is originating through uh, centralized, actually private commercial banking, producing money through this centralized system. So the in the popular perception, government is creating money. But when you uh, look into the system, it is actually arising as a private debt. And you cannot never pinpoint actually... <laughs> Um, well, who is collecting all this debt? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's a kind of a rabbit hole. But the thing is, the citizens need to dig deep into, you know, do we want to have this system like from ordinary perspective, like our like main debts are mortgage, um, car loan, consumer credit card loan, for young people it is student loan. Um, so our life revolves around debt, right? Mm -hmm. And paying debt is, is a huge amount of stress and we really cannot fulfill our true purpose, which Dharma lives calls us to. <laughs> Uh, unless we have some safety and security or survival. And, um, you know, Buddha gave different discourses for Chakravarti and how to be a great king in his time, you know, to yeah. always remain generous. <laughs> right. That the poor are fed and, you know, happy and so they can lead a Dharma life. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so they, yeah, so the, 
so I want to just, before we go too much further, I just want to be sure that I understand what you're saying. So maybe the popular perception mm-hmm. is that the government is creating money that somehow, like, you know, if we work hard enough, then we get to have some of that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're saying, but when you look more deeply, money actually, orig- in our culture today, money actually originates as debt. Yeah. Okay. Every time you take a loan, it's a number that is generated and through dual entry system, see the bank skips their books differently than we do keep our checking book. (laughs) So it's kind of hidden, (laughs) the system. Um, And if you go deeply into fractional reserve banking that you need only a little bit of reserve to create $100, you need $3 in reserve. Uh Uh Um, But the common people don't work that way. We have to work for our money, right? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So everybody's pointing to the market. This is wrong. That is wrong. Wall Street. But what is something we have to fundamentally look is uh, what is truly we value in life? and how money should be aligned to that value that we value is human health and well-being is and the planet's health planet's well-being is the basic thing we value and we should ought to value Uh, otherwise we are digging our own grave and going to the point of no return and we have come to that point now (laughs) Where we have to make a choice and a decision based on insight. Here are the inside knowledges of what is perception and what is reality. Mm -hmm. It's very Mm -hmm. important (laughs) to make. Yeah. And so you were, so you made reference to the Buddha's teachings um, about how to be a great king because that was the model in his time and his location yeah the model of government was kings mm-hmm. being responsible and and all of that so um and and sort of providing for the basics and i was sort of i was looking um at just looking up like your articles online and all of that and um i was like I know one of your papers was a, a buddhist interfaith response mm-hmm. um, to debt capitalism and i'm Wondering for people listening, you know, whether they're familiar with Buddhism much or not, or whether they're respond, you know, familiar with debt capitalism a lot, is 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 UBI is a universal basic income sort of synonymous with Buddhist economics? Is it part of Buddhist economics? What what would you say about that? Um, yeah, great question. The the idea of universal basic income existed for a long time, but only in small pockets or um, groups of people. Uh, it never became mainstream until in this election, the Andrew Young, who is no longer running for president, he's the one who brought it into the into more mainstream. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I remember reading articles about that. I mean, mm-hmm. like in the 90s, even. I, re- and I, I know, know there has been always, but there has not been this collective focus 
but now <laughs> the government is giving stimulus checks but but the government doesn't you know nobody knows what would be the right avenue because everybody knows only a little part of the picture so this right. is where everybody needs to focus especially people who are you know working to change um, the system or the world but we have to be the change right we have to take the time to study it make the effort <laughs> And our attention is so uh, precious, you know, attention is the new currency, right? And every uh, social media to technology and all the marketing people, they're, you know, taking our attention. <laughs> um, so, you know, the people don't develop a common intention and focus. And here is also the, the importance of right view and setting right intention, you know, at a social level. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, that's another whole discussion, what is right view? <laughs> right. And how would you set intention? But I feel Buddha gave this noble eightfold path to create the foundation of a society, but this foundation has to be, um, you know, right view is not just one view, you know, fixed view once and then for all. This has to be cultivated in our own consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, so I talk about mindful system change because everything is created in our mind, but we do not know our own mind, right? <laughs> And we have to, because our mind is highly conditioned and we do, we are doing some autopilot behavior, which mm -hmm. mindfulness is supposed to interrupt <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and give us opportunity to look um, more deeply into the system, what is not viable, not sustainable, not an antidote for, you know, <laughs> greed, hate, and delusion. <laughs> yeah. And how? Yeah, I can see it's on yeah. it. Yeah. So, do you find it hopeful that, because it is interesting how, you know, there's been these articles and different people writing for, as you say, forever for, you know, yeah, uh, on, on a universal basic income and then just the timing, uh, but the timing between sort of, Andrew Yang's rise in the, you know, public awareness and his sort of beginning to his ability to sort of educate people on what that yeah, is he and, had the and, and why, why, it, why it would benefit everybody, not just people who are about to be thrown out of work, but why it would benefit, you know, everyone as a whole. And then, and then for that, you know, for his rise in, in prominence and his, raising awareness about this mm -hmm. you know in time you know almost i almost want to say in time for synchronicity. this there is a lot of synchronicity happening and it's yeah. our job to see what is synchronously arising this is the codependent arising <laughs> mm -hmm. i feel yeah. very excited in some ways you know too because i have been watching this universal basic income group and i went to new york you know in a group of economists but they are you know uh to um, present a discussion paper 
And yeah. um, but I I saw that there is a group of economists are working very, but you know the the theoretical foundation is not clear. You know where it should come from because some of these old ideas we are still working with government pay to corporation. Andrew Young showed how the corporation can pay for it. And it is very yeah. viable because these digital companies is sucking out <laughs> and they are the one, the fastest growing, but not giving back as much. Um, and the, there is another group of economists who wants the government to do it. And here comes what is currency. And if you see the definition on the dollar bill, that it's a legal tender for all private and public debt. It's clearly written on the dollar bill, you know, how yeah. currency is defined. Uh, but many in the basic income group has not gotten that far. There is a few people are waking up and see the dysfunction, but nobody, you know, has an answer really how we get out of this system. I mean, it's very colossal, <laughs> it's uh, huge. Yeah. But one yeah. thing, you know, Einstein said is like, problems cannot be solved from the same level of mindset. We right. have to up level our mindset. So from the very beginning, it has to be wholesome. I see personally right view as to develop wholesome view and wholesome perception and then vision of the world. Mm -hmm. So it expands and expands, it deepens. Um, that is more inclusive of life and the interdependence of everything. Um, mm -hmm. So it would be very interesting to have a group together. <laughs> and I'm thinking already planning some <laughs> courses where a person would be really reflecting from their own life experience and yeah. will try to come to it because, you know, the solution has to come from your own mind engaging into it. Um, and then the it's a real transformative, uh, you know, Things happen, you know, when you you see, you get yeah. develop some insight and you see, you know, a different possibility. Right. Yeah. Well, and what I find myself thinking about too is how this this shift. Well, just what a big difference a shift in thinking makes. I mean, I even think about in the current economic mm -hmm. system we have, thinking about you know, one of my clients was saying to me not long ago that, um, you know, just what a revelation it was for him as he got more involved in the, in the career that he's in now to recognize that, oh, <clears throat> when I go into a bank to borrow money, mm -hmm. they're not doing me a mm -hmm. favor. I'm the company. Yeah. Um, and it was, and he was saying, you know, that, that the whole idea is something about, you know, and he's sort of what he was pointing to is there's something about the way that it's set up is, you know, these banks are, they're, they're depending on mm -hmm. you to create debt. They need, you know, they, yeah. need, they need 
they need people that owe exactly. them money. You know? <laughs> and, but and yet when you go in there needing some, you know, needing to borrow money, there is that feeling of, oh, I have to pass all these things and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they're doing me a favor and then I am under their thumb, yeah. you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and so, so any, you know, even just in seeing, I can, I can see where even if somebody doesn't, you know, doesn't yet have any Dharma background or an understanding of, of, of mm-hmm. Dharma, but just, just that, that. Just yeah, seeing, just seeing things that. as they are. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a revelation yeah, for people, you know, so. Well, how can people get in touch with you or, and, you know, learn about any groups or classes that, you know, if they want to continue to explore this uh, subject with you, how can people contact you or find your group? Um, my group is in uh, Facebook. It's called Facebook um, New Paradigm. It has a long name, but you'll find it as Mindful Economics. If you search under Facebook groups, so okay. it's facebook.com slash mindful.economics. Mindful.economics. Mm-hmm. Okay. So facebook.com slash mindful.economics is the Facebook yeah. group. Yeah. And uh, my own site is my personal name uh, where it's a more Dharma based site. It's sushmitabarua.com. Okay. And my articles are mostly in academia.edu, if you search with my name. Okay. Academia.edu. Yeah. And I had some blogs and things. I have to, you know, I don't, you know, that those are the three areas you can, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, don't hang up yet. But I just, I, I, I just want to say as we close this, close this section, I really appreciate you being willing to do this with me, and um, I look forward to to sharing it with people. And um, yeah, thank you so much for. Thank you that. so much, Christy. You are my Dharmacharya sister, and I really appreciate your interest. And I hope. Uh, this make people more interested in my classes. I may plan a 10-week course where people get actually involved and get little assignments where they get excited to solve this puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> and how to yeah. use really bring dharma into real life issues and problems and solutions. Right. Not just transcendental. <laughs> Thanks again to my friend and Dharmacharya sister, Shizmita Barua, for joining me in this long-awaited conversation. You know, for those of us studying the Buddhist path, the Buddhist Eightfold Path, right livelihood is not only about how we make our living, but also how we spend our lives. And Susmita's exploration of all of this is a real reminder of that. 
that I really appreciate. So whatever this has brought up for you, let's just take a minute to sit with it, to let it settle, to allow yourself to be aware of any exploration that you may want to do either on this topic in general or for whatever individual aspect of right livelihood is up for you right now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.